Well, again, morning. Uh, sorry. Uh, my name is Dion. I'm serving as one of the teaching pastors. And uh, I'm glad to be here with you today as, uh, as we continue in the series Paranormal, where we're talking about things that are, are supernatural, that are inexplicable, often by science or, or other logic or reason, things that may be hard to believe, but things that the Bible talks about, and so we feel we should talk about them. And uh, just a, a word of warning to you, today's topic, as we get into it, can be especially hard for those of us who are a little more rational or scientific or skeptical. Uh, and for some of us, it might be even scary, because today we're going to be talking about the dark side. No, not that dark side. Not that dark side either, although it was a full moon on Wednesday night. Uh. Hey, you know, that's a lot closer, actually. Um, But no, that's not the dark side that we're going to talk about today. Uh, It's not. Oh, gosh, no, that's not the dark side I even want to talk about. Um, Hey, that's not bad. Um, But again, no, that's not the dark side that we're going to talk about today. Uh, The dark side that we're going to talk about today is actually the dark side of what we talked about last week. If you were here last week, Stephen Hauer, our senior pastor, he, he gave a great message on angels separating fact from fiction, and then talking about why angels even matter. And if you missed that, you need to go back to our website and listen or check out even on our live stream page. You might be able to access the video to that message. But awesome message. See, see that's the dark side we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the dark side of angels. We're going to talk about fallen angels. And we're going to talk about the spiritual realm. We're going to talk about spiritual warfare today. Battles that go around us all the time, often unseen. But here's the thing is, uh, even though this is, you know, all over the Bible, spiritual warfare, the dark side, angels, demons, in our modern times, it's stuff we don't talk about very often. Uh, A lot of us may find it a little kooky, you know? Demons? Really, we're going to talk about demons? Come on, Dion, I thought you were a little more rational than that. We're going to talk about the boogeyman and demons and all this other stuff. For some of us, we may struggle with this, not because we find it kooky, but because we find it spooky, You know, you saw The Exorcist back in the 70s, and it freaked you out, and you don't want to go back there. Or Rosemary's Baby, or Amityville, or any of those other weird shows where you're like, I don't want to talk about this stuff in church. That's not at all what I came here for. Well, like it or not, um, we're we're going to talk about this because it's very important. And, And if you find it a little hard to believe, I get it. If you find it a little scary, I get it. Back in eighth grade, when I first learned about this stuff as I was working through confirmation, I thought, this is weird. And then that same year, um, I believe my family encountered a significant amount of spiritual warfare. As uh, it was all around the time that my dad was, was making a sudden conversion to faith in Christ after living as, as an atheist for decades. Um, I think there was a lot of spiritual warfare around that. So uh, I get it that this is scary, and yet it's so important for us to talk about here today. Because for us as a culture, as we've gotten, you know, more and more skeptical, even though most of the world believes in spiritual things and believes in the dark side, for us, we've kind of made this substitution where we no longer talk about demons, where we've replaced that word with things like bad luck, or coincidence, or even disease. Now, I'm not saying that there's no such thing as disease. I'm not saying that at all. Surely there is, but but the Bible teaches that there are both diseases and demons, and they have different causes and different treatments. See, I'm just going to put it out there. I believe that there's a dark side. I believe there are fallen angels who mess with us, who who try to thwart God's agenda for us. 
And so like it or not, um, whatever you think of me, I don't care. I believe it's true. And today we're going to talk about it by going to a place in the Bible where there is a very, very bizarre encounter with the dark side. I think it's one of the weirdest, one of the oddest. It comes from Acts chapter 19, and that's where we're going to go today. So you can open up your Bible or take out your phone and go to Uversion, the Uversion app, or you can uh, look along right here, Acts 19, starting at verse 11. It says, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. Now, uh, just a reminder about who Paul is. Um, if you don't know Paul, just before this, not too long before this, Paul was a skeptic. So if you're a skeptic, there are lots of skeptics in the Bible. It's okay. Uh, Paul was a skeptic. He, he actually was so skeptical about Jesus and all of the stuff that surrounded Jesus that he was the chief adversary of the Christian movement. For, uh, for a large part of his life. And then um, supernaturally, Jesus appeared to him one day, blinded him. It so uh, shook Paul that, that later on, after his sight was restored, he studied the scriptures, and he realized that hundreds of years of Hebrew scriptures accurately predicted Jesus' birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. And so Paul went from being a skeptic to being the lead advocate of the Christian movement, went around the world preaching that Christ was truly uh, the son of, uh, son of God, that Jesus was the Christ, just as the Hebrew Scripture said. So that's the Paul we're talking about here. And apparently God is doing extraordinary miracles through him. Watch this. So that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick, and, and get this, their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left them. So you following this? Uh, people are taking Paul's sweaty work clothes, because he's a tent maker, they take his sweaty work clothes, and, and they're taking these things, and they're taking them back to sick people. And just by the, by the presence of Paul's sweat, I guess, on, on, these, uh, on these articles, people are being heal, healed. And uh, spirits are being cast out. Now again, if you struggle with the paranormal, you'll struggle with this. And I don't blame you, because it sounds crazy. In fact, there are still some preachers today who, if you watch them on TV, they'll sell you a prayer cloth that's supposed to make you well. I think that stuff's a scam. Uh, and you could say, hey, maybe this stuff with, with Paul is a scam. And, and uh, you know, I guess, I guess she could be right. But for me, I don't believe it's so. Uh, see, the thing about Paul is that there had to be something that gave this guy such quick credibility in the eyes of so many. He was once a skeptic, and, and maybe his conversion had something to do with it. But, but Paul went from being a nobody to being the chief uh, leader of the Christian movement, preaching to crowds, having people in the thousands converting to the Christian faith. It had to be more than just his conversion story that impressed people. There had to be miracles. I don't know how else you explain his credibility in any other way. So, so God's doing amazing things through Paul, but it takes an odd turn here. Watch this. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits. So these are not Christ followers. These are, these are still a people who adhere to the Jewish faith, not to Jesus as the Messiah. So they went around driving out evil spirits. They tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. So uh, these guys are clearly not Christ followers. They don't know him. They're saying, in the name of this guy, Jesus, the guy that Paul keeps talking about, we command you out. So uh, basically what's happening here is because Paul is such a big deal, these opportunists and these entrepreneurs, they come along and, and they start going around throwing out demons in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, and they're doing it for profit. 
But because they don't know Jesus in a personal way, they get it all wrong. See, they just kind of think that the name of Jesus is like magic words. Some sort of incantation. And they're wrong, of course, and yet so often... Even in our prayer lives, we, we might do the same. We throw around the name of Jesus as if it's some magic spell, but it's not. It's not a magic spell any more than when, when in the middle of the night my kids have a bad dream and they wake up and they yell, Daddy. They don't think that name does anything to scare away the boogeyman or anything they're afraid of. No, what are they doing? It's not magic words. They're calling upon one whom they know, one who's in the house, who loves them, who can come to their aid, who will comfort them, who they trust. See, that's what you're supposed to do when you call on the name of Jesus. You're invoking the help. You're inviting the help of someone who knows you, who loves you, who, who has the power to comfort you and to come to your aid. But these guys, they miss that. They just kind of thought it was a name you could throw around like a magic spell. And, and so they start doing that. They start speaking the name of Jesus, the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches over people. And the weird thing is, is it works for a little while. They actually have success treating the name of Jesus like a magic word. But then things go horribly wrong. Take a look. Uh, So seven sons of this guy named Sceva, a Jewish chief priest. So seven sons, these brothers, they were doing this thing. Uh, They were going around saying, you know, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, spirits get out, presumably doing it for profit. Well, one day, the evil spirit answered them. Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit, the the guy they were called over there to help, he jumped on them and overpowered them all, all seven of them. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Wow. This is why we don't want to talk about this stuff, because this is weird, right? Tell me this isn't weird. Tell me this isn't one of the weirdest things you've ever heard about in church or read in the Bible. I mean, this is bizarre stuff. And before you get too weirded out by it, I want to talk to you about an important distinction. As we talk about the dark side today, it's it's a pretty wide spectrum. But today I want to talk to you specifically about the distinction between demonic possession and spiritual warfare. So demonic possession, spiritual warfare. Demonic possession is when a spirit, an evil spirit, a demon, actually inhabits a person. Like this guy here in Acts 19 that the seven sons of Sceva came to to help out. Spiritual warfare, on the other hand, is is more like assaults or attacks that come against us, still by demons, but they don't actually inhabit us. They don't take over. They they just kind of bother us. Spiritual warfare is very common. I believe it happens far more than most of us acknowledge, admit, or realize. And yet demonic possession is much more rare. And yet even though it's rare... I believe it still happens. Uh, there have been times where uh, someone will come in just off the street and ask for help, and you'll sit down with the person, and you think, there is something not right about all of this. Kind of makes the hair on your neck stand up, and it's more than just that they're a little weird. There seems like there's something uh, dark. Uh, I, when I went to Cambodia about a year ago, some of you may remember this, uh, I went with Mike May and on another trip, I went with Lori May, so I've been with, uh, with, with the Mays to Cambodia a couple times. Uh, but on the most recent trip, uh, we were in this, this very remote village, way in the northeast of the country. 
up near the border of Vietnam and Laos. I mean, this, this was a place where we had to take a van 10 hours north of the capital to stay in this uh, medium-sized city. Then um, every morning we'd take a, a van for about an hour and a half to a river. We'd get all of our stuff, all of our gear, all of our equipment. We'd put it on this, this motorized raft that was not a very seaworthy vessel, not something you'd want to travel on. Uh, we'd ferry across this river. Then we'd get on like motorbikes and weird tractor things and carts and go about a mile down the road to this village. So I mean, this is a very, very remote, remote place. Uh, and as we were there, we were doing vacation Bible school for kids, and we had a large number of adults who showed up who wanted to be taught the Bible. And, and there was one guy in the group in particular who was, who was very astute. Um, he was answering all the questions. He was listening more than everyone else. Uh, there was also another guy in the group who, who I believe had some sort of demonic possession on him. He was just a drifter who came through the village. Uh, but this other guy, he was, he was not more than 20 years old, really sharp. And uh, on the last day we were there, we were talking about God's grace and power, and I said, surely you've seen God's grace and power. Uh, why don't you share some of the stories of what you've seen? Because I'd been talking a lot to them about God's grace and power. And, and the first hand up was this young man age, around the age of 20, been very attentive. And uh, he stands up and through a translator begins sharing his story. And he shares his story and he says, uh, just a few years ago, he was, he was wild. And by that he meant he was out of his mind. He said he would go into these fits of violence and he couldn't be controlled. And, and there were times where they would restrain him. They would, they would tie him. They would use chains. And he even broke the chains. He would break the restraints. He was totally uncontrollable. He was, he was, uh, he was tortured by some spirit. And so they uh, went to the tribal doctors. And they did their tribal medicine. And nothing worked. And then someone said, no, you can't do this tribal stuff. You, you've got to go see a real doctor. And they went to a Western clinic, and, and he got antipsychotic medications and everything else, and it didn't work. Finally, some Christians, a small group of Christians in this very remote village, came over and said, we know what's wrong, and we want to pray for you. And they, they prayed over him for hours in one day. But by the end of that prayer session, he had been freed. And he said he was back in his right mind. And uh, that, that oppression, that wildness left him, and uh, he didn't need to be restrained anymore. And consequently, after that, he became a Christian. Because Jesus was the only one who could set him free. And so that's why he was there astutely listening to all of this answering, because Jesus literally had changed his life. And, and I was just there, and with the other people on the team, you know, Mike and others, just thinking, this is This is crazy. And yet everyone there had seen it, and they're nodding along in affirmation of going, we don't know what happened, but this guy's different. See, see I think this stuff still happens. I believe it does. And yet in this country, we're going to see a lot less of it for a few reasons. We'll see more of the spiritual warfare, less of the demonic possession. For starters, because a large number of us, probably larger than most places in the world, have been baptized. And that's important for a reason I'll explain later. But also, I'm here in this country... Unlike on the mission field, and out on the mission field, they're open to supernatural things. Uh, and they're open to other gods. For them, the only question is, which god is the most powerful? See, for us, it's different. That's not our question. If, if we were going to reject faith in Christ here, most of us aren't going to start believing in some other god or something else. If we reject Christ, we're going to believe in nothing at all. We'll, we'll become agnostic or even atheist. So, so think about it. Here in our country, the last thing that the dark side wants to do is show itself. Because if, if the dark side did things here, like it's doing over in Cambodia, places where people could be led away to believe in other gods, then, then there'd be a record number of people who would turn to Jesus. But, but see, here, subtlety is the name of the game. 
I don't know if you ever saw the movie The Usual Suspects. There's a great line that comes out of it. Uh, it goes something like this. The greatest lie the devil ever told was convincing the world that he doesn't exist. You got that? See, subtlety is the name of the game for us. If, if we can believe that there is no spiritual side, that flesh and blood is all there is, then, then we can more easily be led away from faith in, in God into just a, a rational kind of life. And that's exactly what the dark side wants. So instead of the overt stuff, most of us, when it comes to spiritual warfare, are going to see the subtler side of things. We're going to see a doubt planted in our mind. I mean, this, this is so common, isn't it? I mean, maybe you're in church, and you're singing, and you're singing a great song like we just sang, The Great I Am. I love that song. Isn't that an awesome song? And an uh, awesome job from our choir and our musicians. Oh, by the way, this is the final week for the choir before a, a summer break, a well-deserved summer break, because they show up on Saturday nights and Sunday mornings. They do this three times. They have to listen to me three times. You should clap for, that, for them for that alone, right? God love you. Special place in heaven. Um, uh, but, you know, you're singing that song, and, and tell me this hasn't happened to you before. You're singing the song of great power, and this thought comes in your mind, this doubt comes in your mind, and you just go, is this, is this stuff even real? I mean, is... Is, is this just all a big game we're playing? Or, or maybe you're praying sometime for something in your life and all of a sudden you think, is there anyone even listening out there? Can anyone hear me or am I just talking to myself right now? See, I, I, but if you think about your last week, you can think of moments where all of a sudden out of nowhere, a doubt came into your mind. And maybe it wasn't even a doubt about God. Or maybe it was a doubt about someone else. Suddenly doubting the love of your spouse for no good reason or doubting the love of your parents for no good reason or, or even doubting uh, what, what you're doing in life and your calling in life and, and just where you are in life. I'm going to tell you, uh, it's dangerous for church staff to plan a weekend to talk about the dark side because that means we're going to have a week that is uh, very interesting. And for me, I was just too slow to figure it out. But, but all this week in my own life, I've just been assailed with little doubts. Just about everything in my life. And I was too slow to pick it up until Saturday afternoon as I'm preparing finally for this message. And I go, oh, spiritual warfare, duh. Just crazy stuff just in my mind. All these little doubts peppering me with doubts. Doubts about, about, about who I am and what I'm doing here. And, you know, why, why on earth am I spending all my time doing this? Am I in the wrong field? Should I be doing something else? Does it really help to stand up in front of people and talk to them about God for 30 minutes on a weekend? I mean, I love God, but if I wanted to serve God, wouldn't there be better ways in doing this? I mean, just doubt after doubt after doubt. It doesn't matter. It's not effective. Why bother? See, I think more times than not, um, the dark side will come, not with the full frontal attack like in the movies with, with demons and spooky stuff. It will come subtly with the doubt. Or maybe not a doubt, maybe a temptation. You know, a temptation that might just come out of nowhere. Sit down at the computer and you're ready to, to do something and all of a sudden a thought crosses your mind to search for something that is going to lead nowhere good. And that wasn't on your mind a minute ago. Where, where did that come from? Or you're standing in a store and you, know, you just have a weird thought in your mind. You got stuff in your hand, you're ready to go to the checkout line and you think, I could just walk out without paying for this, no one would know. What? Where did that come from? See, certainly there are temptations in life that we feed and fuel by the choices we make. We, we get ourselves into temptation sometimes, and then sometimes uh, it, it just comes at us. 
And often we own and accept that temptation as, as our own, but maybe it's not actually from us. Maybe it's coming at us from the outside. So uh, it's, it's subtle. It's a doubt. It's a temptation. It's a lie. In the Bible, the devil is called the father of lies. Just think for a second about all the lies that we might believe. You know, lies about who God is and if God's really real. We already talked about that. But think about all the other lies that we believe. Just like in the Garden of Eden, uh, you know, there's so many things that God says, hey, if you want a full and whole life, if you want abundance, do this, don't do that. And how often do we look at that stuff and we go, you know what? I don't think so. I think God is holding out on me. And I bet that if I do that other stuff, I, I can have the best of both worlds. Stolen waters do taste sweeter. How often do those lies come into our mind? How often do we believe them? How often do we believe other lies about life? That, hey, if, if people really knew what you struggled with, they would never love you or accept you. That, that God doesn't want anything to do with you based on what you've done in your past. Or we believe lies that, that, that we'll never be happy again, that we'll never be whole again, that the struggles that we are in are going to go on forever and we'll never have another day of joy in our whole lives. I mean, those lies can assail us in life and we can believe them so easily, but maybe they're just not thoughts we're having in our head. Maybe they're not reality. Maybe they are attacks from the father of lies. So we have doubts, temptations, lies, last one, frustrations. Doubts, temptations, lies, frustrations. I mean, frustrations, I, th- I, think the, I think the evil one loves to use this stuff in our lives. And so often it's just the small, picky stuff. I mean, have you ever had a week where you just feel picked on? You know, like everyone takes you wrong. You're, you're fighting with, with your spouse. You're fighting with your, you know, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your best friends. The, the kids are misbehaving. Nothing's going right. There's a problem with the car. You know, you run out of gas and you're just like, what is going on this week? You just feel harassed. You feel picked on. Again, you know, preach on the dark side. You'll have one of these weeks. It's like praying for patience. Don't do it unless you want a really crummy week. Because it's been my week, just frustration after frustration after frustration. And here's what's weird about frustration, at least in my life, and maybe it's just because I'm an impatient person. But uh, if I get enough frustrations, here's what happens to my heart. I start getting very angry with God. And I think, God, here I am. I'm trying to serve you. I'm trying to live life your way. Could you give me a break here? Could you help me out? Could, could something be easy this week? I'm trying to love my wife. Could she just be nice to me? I'm trying to be a good dad to my kids. Could they just listen for once? Right? so easy to, to have those frustrations mount into something uh, much bigger. Uh, in fact, Friday I was working on this message, and, uh, and uh, it had just been a terrible week. And then my wife, she texts me, and she goes, Do you, did, you take, did you take cash out of my purse? <laughs> no. And then immediately I'm like, wait, what does this mean? Is, is, uh, do you, is money missing? And she texts me back, and she goes, yeah, I'm missing $100. And so immediately in my mind, I go, well, she must have lost it. She must be wrong. She must. Uh, I was going home for lunch anyway. And so I, I go home and, and I, I retrace all of her steps and, and we look through everything. And, and uh, she's like, I don't understand. I just got this money out, but I, I, I think it was the bank's fault. I think they didn't give me enough money. And I'm thinking, yeah, right. <laughs> and uh, I'm thinking in my head further, yeah, just, you know, call the bank and tell them that they owe you $100. And I'm sure they'll just, you know, say, come over and pick it up, right? 
And so I look in her car, we look in her purse, we talk through everything. She only went a couple places. I'm like, well, maybe, and maybe it's at Costco, I don't know. But, but meanwhile, all this is mounting because we're working really hard to honor God with our money. And I'm just thinking, you know what, this stinks. God, here we are trying to honor you with our money, and, and now there's $100 missing, and, and this isn't right. And, and so we turn the house upside down, and we retrace all the steps. And I say, just call the bank and just, I don't know, just see. And she's going, all right. And so 20 minutes later, after looking some more, she calls the bank, and, and she says, I think you shorted me $100 yesterday when I came in. And they said, oh, good. We've been trying to figure out where that $100 came from. <laughs> I'm like, what? They say, come by. Just some will bring you, give you your $100. bucks." i am thinking. This can't be real. <laughs> so she goes to the bank and they give her a hundred bucks. I think she had to sign something and they give her a hundred bucks and it's all done. But, but here's the thing, even though God returned that money to us and praise God for that, I just think the whole day long I was just, just sitting wrong with all that. It just, even though it was resolved and I was thankful, there was still just something about me that just, it just agitated me further. See, I, I think if you're looking for the devil to come like he comes in the movies... You're going to miss the craft and the subtlety, the way the dark side really operates through doubts, temptations, lies, and frustrations. All to get us so off kilter, to get us so frustrated, to get us so filled with despair that we eventually walk away from God. Because here's the thing, the dark side can't take you away from God. See, the dark side is no match for Jesus. Even though there's true power there, and I just got to say a word of caution, especially to, to some of our young people, because I remember feeling this way at some point in my life. Uh, so suddenly, at some point in your life, this, this kind of occult stuff or, or um, astrology or, or just even, you know, horoscopes start to, start to get into this. You start to get enamored by, by some weird stuff and power and, and the magical. And, and I just want to caution you that there is power in the dark side. And just like we saw in Acts 19, you may be opening the door to something that you don't have enough power to overcome. You you may get yourself into something that's too powerful for you. So don't play around with that stuff. But here's why you shouldn't be afraid of it if if you're feeling a little nervous about all this right now. The dark side is no match for Jesus. You're no match for the dark side, but the dark side is no match for Jesus. See, the Bible teaches... That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. The Bible teaches that Jesus has authority over all things in creation. Things that are visible and invisible. The Bible teaches that even demons believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And they shudder, they tremble at the mention of his name. See, see, the dark side is no match for Jesus. And yet, and yet, if the dark side can get in there and subtly fill you with doubt, temptations, lies, and frustrations, it just might be that you end up in a place where you walk away from Jesus. Jesus will never quit on you, but you may quit on him if the dark side can bother you enough. You see, if you're looking always for this Acts 19 stuff, you're going to miss it. And yet we should still be aware of this Acts 19 stuff. Because here we had these guys, and they thought they could use Jesus' name like a magic spell. And they discovered along the way that they should not mess with things that are too powerful for them. Watch how this thing starts to resolve now. Um, So when this event, you know, these seven guys being overpowered 
by an evil spirit. When this event became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. See, I love this because this evil spirit attacked these guys to try to, to, try to get them off base, to try to fill them with fear and dread, to try to show off its power. But in the end, what happened, people don't fear the demons. They fear the name of Jesus. See, again, Jesus has power even over the dark side. The dark side tries to do its bidding, and Jesus turns that around. So now people in the city are going, the name of Jesus is powerful. You shouldn't misuse that. There is power in this name. Watch how it concludes. Uh, Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. You know, a better translation of this would be their, their practices, their doings. Um, so there's an implication here that, that um, even believers living in Ephesus, because Ephesus was a city filled with magic and spells. I mean, it was like the New Orleans, you know, voodoo capital of, of the uh, empire. Uh, so many of these believers, they came and they openly confessed that secretly they had been practicing some of these dark arts. And a number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly in the middle of the city. Uh, when they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. Uh, can someone toss me a drachma real quick? No? No, probably not. You know, drachma in this day is about um, the equivalent of a day's wage. So in a place like Cambodia, most of the developing world, a good wage is a dollar a day. Um, so, you know, that'd be $50,000, which would be huge in the developing world. Um, for us, based on minimum wage, this would be almost $4 million. This is a huge sum of money. But, but why are people burning these scrolls? Simply because they're afraid of them? Maybe. But but I think they've discovered something else. They've discovered that there is a greater power at work than anything they've ever found in any of those scrolls. They're now obsolete. They're worthless because they now know where true power comes from. In this way, it says, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. I just love this. I do. Because in the end, what we see we see that Jesus has power over everything. Some major lessons here. Uh, The first is this. There is a dark side. I know some of you struggle to believe it. And some of you are afraid that if you believe it, that uh, it's going to open up a door to something and something that you don't like. Uh, But I want to tell you today, there is a dark side. It exists. It's real. And you need to acknowledge it. By acknowledging it, in fact, that's how you take away some of its power. If you leave it hidden, undetected, if you let it operate in subtlety in your life, it has more power than if you call it out and just acknowledge it. This week, I'm convinced, if I would have figured this out earlier, that, oh my gosh, I'm talking about spiritual warfare, and maybe I'm just under attack because because the devil's trying to get to me. If I would have acknowledged that earlier, I fully believe I would have had a different kind of week. But instead, I just kind of let it work on me subtly, get into my head, get into my heart, get into my brain, and just... There is a dark side. And if you can bring yourself to acknowledge that, you already take some of the power away from the dark side. The second thing is this. Jesus has power over everything, even the dark side. Right? That's what people in Ephesus saw. They said, Jesus is not competing with these other gods and spirits. He's got power over all of them, so they got rid of all that other stuff. If you're sitting here today and and you feel timid, you feel fearful... 
about the dark side? There's no reason to. See, if, if, if you belong to Jesus, you are his possession. Do you get that? If, if Jesus has claimed you, if you've been baptized in him, you belong to him. You're his possession. You can't be possessed by anything when you're his possession. You understand that? Now, now certainly you can walk away. You can reject him. You can open yourself up to some dark stuff. You can do that. But, but, but when you belong to Jesus, when you've been baptized into his name, he's marked you. He has claimed you. You are his. And so you've got power over the dark side. There's nothing to fear. If you haven't been baptized, I want to talk to you about that. Because it'll change your life. It just won't ward off evil spirits, but it will absolutely change your life. The third thing that we can learn from this is that there are no neutral parties. As it relates to the dark side and to Jesus, you can't be Switzerland. And there's no dual citizenship. You've got to choose a side. You've got to get off the fence Again, that's what people in Ephesus saw. It wasn't Jesus and scrolls. It was either Jesus or the dark side they had to choose. Now, I think for us, we are on the fence in a different way. Maybe not with the occult stuff. But for us in life, we think, all right, I can have Jesus and power. Jesus and pleasure. Jesus and success. Jesus and my reputation. Jesus and the life that I want to live. Somehow we we can just think like we, we can have it all. And not get too deep into Jesus. I hope you see today that there is no such thing as neutrality as it relates to Jesus. You are either with him or you are not with him. You can't live in both worlds. Now, that's not saying that you won't struggle with sin, that you'll some, somehow be perfect and holy, and that's not what I'm talking about. I'm the chief of sinners, and I will struggle with sin until Jesus takes me home, even though I hate it. What I mean is, in your life, you eventually have to declare where your allegiance lies, and it's not Jesus and anything. It's Jesus or. Now, now here's what I know. Some of you, uh, you've been kind of stalking around, uh, watching Jesus from a distance, and that's okay. He doesn't mind. And some of you, you've been very present. You know, you come here all the time, and uh, you do the church thing, and yet in your heart, you have never set Jesus apart as Lord. Today, I I just hope you're encouraged to see that there is no neutral parties and there is really only one side that makes sense to align yourself with. And that is fully in Jesus' camp. And so right now, um, I just want to pray over all of us that by God's power, by God's spirit, we might be able to set Jesus apart as our Lord and to live for him alone. So, So pray with me right now. Father, I ask that you pour out your spirit on us here in this room and that all of us, all of us, would set apart Jesus as Lord. Not Jesus and, but Jesus only. That he would be our first priority, that he would be our best, that he would be the most important thing in our lives. Father, and and that's because Jesus has shown to us that we are the most important thing for him. He gave his life for us. And so, Father, I pray today that there would not be a a fence-sitter in this room, but that by your Spirit, you would call us to full faith and devotion in Jesus, knowing that we're still going to struggle, know that we're we're still going to sin, that we're still going to fall victim to doubts and temptations and lies and frustrations. 
but put us squarely in Jesus' camp. Father, today I pray that you pour out your spirit on us in such a way that our hearts are filled with faith. Even though we may still be skeptical or doubt, help us in our unbelief and, and give us a supernatural faith in Jesus. And Father, I pray that then you would show us the power of Jesus and Jesus only in our lives. The power to set us free from failure, from sin, from struggle. The power to set us free from guilt and shame. The power to set us free from empty ways of living that don't bring real joy. Father, by your power, help each and every one of us, whether it's for the first time or whether this is yet again, set apart your son as Lord. It's in his strong name that we pray. Amen.